Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. How do I build belonging in myself? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And today in our interview segment, we have Melanie Paez, who is a professional certified coach and the founder of Chief Executive Angel. She's also the director of coaching at the C-Suite Collective. I really love this woman and she is my right-hand person in building the C-Suite Collective. So I hope you enjoy the episode today and what we talked about. And please remember something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. I build belonging in myself. So a lot of the conversations I've been in in the world recently have been with clients around belonging and how do we create cultures of belonging? How do we belong to ourselves? And what's the process that's going to start some of that work that maybe we've been avoiding for a long time? A lot of the conversation that we're having today with Melanie centers around some of our blind spots And I want to give you some places to start that might be some tactical areas to just build some awareness before you even enter this conversation. So the first thing that I offer is journal about your wants, needs, and desires. So I don't know about you all, but for me, for a long time, I didn't think I had any needs. And then when I realized I had needs and I just never spoke about them, I didn't know how to get those needs met. And I also didn't know the difference between wants and needs and desires. I had related to a need for a long time as a need for food or clothing or shelter, and everything else was sort of extra or luxury. And what I started to notice is that as a human being, needs might look like a hug every day. And these needs are actually something that I need to thrive and grow and belong in the world. So the very first thing is journal about it. If you don't have a lot of facility with this, you're not gonna know where to start. The best thing to do is just start writing it down. Write down whatever comes to your brain without any judgment, if you can. The second thing is to notice where you're silencing yourself. So even in this writing exercise, notice if you're wanting to write something down and you resist it because you're silencing that part of you that has a judgment about your desire or your need. Just simply notice. And notice where you're doing it in conversations or notice where you're asking yourself to leave behind something that you really want. 
This is actively creating a distance between you and yourself instead of belonging in yourself, which really the way that I relate to this is, do I have enough space and energy and love for all of me instead of leaving pieces of me behind? In the therapeutic world, this might look like parts work, where you're looking at the different parts of you that are sitting at the table talking and which ones don't have a voice or that you're silencing, that you're actively not letting them speak. And the third thing is, in the world, notice what conversations you're not having that you think about all the time. So this could be a question from curiosity or a judgment about the world or really wanting to understand a different point of view. And simply notice where you're afraid of either not belonging or being singled out or being made wrong that has you not having these conversations and instead sitting on them. And my invitation is to practice having one from bravery and courage just to see what you learn about yourself. Not for any other reason than what can you learn about belonging and how you're taking care of your voice being out in the world. Oh my gosh, Mel, thank you for being here again today. I know you've been on the podcast before, but I um, every time I get to have a conversation with you, it feels like magic. It really does. And I think that's one of the reasons that I have been so excited to have you be part of TCC and to have you really um, lead the way of this new paradigm of leadership at TCC as the director of coaching with the C-Suite Collective, but also in your own business, Chief Executive Angel. So welcome. Welcome back. Thank you so much. I love being here. (laughs) All right. Well, today we have a really unique conversation. We recently had a retreat for our company, the C-Suite Collective, in May. And anything you want to share from insights around the retreat and the retreat is just, yeah, it's just a really beautiful space for all of us to come together. First and foremost, that we're we're really up to big things together and we remind each other of that when we're together. So I think that the most powerful parts of our work come from being in the same space together and not just because it's a bunch of powerful people in a room, but because we are so committed to practicing what we preach, that we are taking on the things that we're bringing into companies we're asking a lot of people to be really brave and to shift the way that culture goes for them. And we really do it for ourselves. And and that's the place I think that it happens the most potently for us. Yeah. I was really struck by it. This retreat, you know, this is only our second retreat because we're a pretty new company and the difference between this retreat and the last retreat foundationally of how we've grown. Some of the things I've noticed is We are clearer about our mission and vision and where we're headed in the world. And we also, as a collective, felt like we really were past the first hump of, do we belong here? Which is what the first retreat felt like to me. And this retreat felt like, okay, we all know we belong. And what's the foundation we'll create to really use our magic and our gifts in the world? Do you have it differently or did you have a different version of it? I... 
I do believe also like there, there was a foundation of belonging created in the first retreat where every single person really got what they're doing at the collective and why they, why they said yes to it, why they were seen as a pivotal member in it. Um, and that, that foundation feels really strong from the first retreat. And this one, yes, is like more like, okay, we really are a collective now. So what is, what is like what we are doing? Where, where are we belong? Where are we choosing to belong in the world? Um, together. And it's so, so exciting to create that foundation. Yeah. Well, part of the reason that we're having this conversation today is I wanted to talk about our own um, blind spots that we found during the retreat. So one of the things we're continually defining is how do we practice what we preach, which really means, uh, are we looking at our own blind spots? Are we having tough conversations are we willing to bring things to the table and not sit on them with each other just out of clarity and kindness instead of a culture of nice? So uh, at the retreat, we started practicing this and I'm, will you share a little bit about what we learned around number one, the, the piece about tough conversations, probably that yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, like the thing I really want to say is how proud I am of, this group of people because positioning ourselves as the practitioners or the supporters of this, we really could come from an elevated perspective of like, we already know how to do this. We have the tools for it. So we're just going to come and give them to you, but we're not doing that. We are very aware that we're people too, inside of a company too, and that every single collective of people that come together need to be looking at things like this if they're committed to shifting culture. So our willingness to know that we're always going to be doing the work that we're providing is uh, a humility and a courage that I am I'm so proud to be a part of. And I think that what we realize in this one is that we do have blind spots just like anyone else and that by addressing them in the moment, they're is less of a need to go clean it up later. And and we have the benefit of that. We have the benefit of being new. So we can start from a, a clean space um, and, and clean up our space as we notice the things that, that we bring to the table are um, like needing attention. We learn that we have blind spots and we learn that we, even though we have the tools and we teach this, that that doesn't... Um, exclude us from the discomfort that comes from, from having to take a look at our blind spots and, and how they impact other people. Really beautifully said. And thanks for the normalization of it, because I, I really do believe that if anybody's going to be doing this work in the world, you have to be willing to go first. So I really hear that's what we're doing. Yeah. 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 I, I think that, um, there's so many easier paths, but we're not committed to doing it the easy way. <laughs> yeah, that is for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of people in our work talk about masculine and feminine dynamics. Will you, what is your like very simple version of what that is in the world? I think that in order to talk about a new level of leadership, we have to look at the way that things are positioned in culture automatically. And whether it was intentional or not, 
the culture kind of skews to um, valuing a masculine perspective. And a lot of people who are doing work to make room for a feminine perspective then have um, the scales tipped all the way to the other side sometimes. Mm-hmm. So we're in our own process of looking at where we are on that scale. Um, and I, I believe that people who are in this conversation are all looking to create equity, equality, dignity. And um, in order to really do that work, you've got to be willing to look at the, the places that you're missing the mark. Yeah. And to me, uh, when I hear masculine and feminine energy, for a long time, I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't also know if I believed it. So for people out there who might be struggling with that, I just want to normalize that it's, it's all of you in one body. <laughs> it is parts of you that exist and they're qualities that have been defined by masculine and feminine energy. And uh, you don't necessarily have to choose to believe those definitions, but what we are talking about is the whole self, bringing the whole part of you to the table and looking at pieces that are unbalanced. So do you, do you have anything else to add to that definition, Mel? No, I think you got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you and I have been in a conversation around where we've noticed a lot in partnerships in the world, in our lives, in inside of the C-Suite Collective, in organizations, this unbalancing of energy. And one of the theories you and I are working with is around how for so long in, in systems of oppression, especially coming from the feminist movement, that there has been a lot of shifting of power towards women really working towards equality or taking back things that they've lost or some perceived version of trying to balance the scales. So what's your opinion around how that movement's gone and where we're at now? I really started my journey of the of this um as um in women and gender studies in university and i really loved it i really loved the willingness to look at how the world can move toward more inclusion by uh taking on some of these feminist ideals and i noticed that there was a a stopping point in a lot of my studies where um, it, it stopped at anger and uh, a new exclusion that in order to be included, we needed to then exclude people who were historically in power. And this very common experience, I think, that happens with lots of different forms of prejudice where the person who had been the oppressor um, previously needed to then be oppressed. And this is a hard topic to talk about because there are a lot of feelings that are involved. A lot of people who um, really have a lot of evidence that that it does need to start with um, a new tipping of a scale for for things to even eat, even out eventually. And I'm not here to say that I have it figured out, but I am here to say that I've noticed that that way of thinking creates a pretty dangerous exclusion, walking toward the process of inclusion, and that at the C-Suite Collective, we're just taking a look, a curious look at what else might be possible. 
Yeah. Well, and to be really, really blunt, like I've seen it in the world, in my own relationship, like where have I, where have I stopped in anger or suppressing my own thoughts or opinions to try to be inclusionary, but really (laughs) my methods are still manipulation or control or strategy instead of listening and making room for other types of energy. So do you have that experience in the world or what are you noticing? Absolutely. And I'm glad that you use the word strategy because it very clearly makes it into a head conversation, which I think is what a lot of people are doing with this is like, I haven't felt safe and I'm going to come grab my safety back. And that means that you have to get on the floor. And that is a, a normal thing when people are afraid to get into their heads and out of their hearts and do what has been done to them. And um, I find it ineffective at best. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so I, I noticed that in, in my own experience too, that there's been a lot of like a lot of hurt and anger where I, I've tried to overcompensate for it and it hasn't panned out well for me. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate that we're calling it masculine and feminine. And sometimes we might talk about the women's experience or what we notice in a men's experience, but this talking about it as feminine and masculine dynamics instead of man and woman includes all of a person because we all have those dynamics within us, but it also includes all genders. And by leaving any person out of this conversation, we are missing the mark. We're talking about humanity here. We're not talking about any particular group of subsect of humanity. And to create inclusion would be to not leave anyone out of the conversation. Hmm. And not leaving anyone out, like, let's get tangible about this. This looks like, you know, having room for what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Having room for women who are called too bossy or too powerful in, in rooms where they're actually just leaders and having room for men to have emotions in, uh, in spaces where they're told that they need to, you know, present themselves in a stoic kind of way to have room for non-binary and trans and the people in leadership whatsoever. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And, and to have room for, uh, simple things like when I want to be in my creative flow, someone else might want to be in rigor or structure. Or when I want, when I, you know, nothing, everything about me wants people to be comfortable in a conversation or heard or calm or present, which, you know, is all related to my own trauma around like conflict and not liking it. Yeah. Then I can have space for someone who's really angry and needs to be angry and can, can sit in anger instead of, assuming that anger is a bad thing. Yeah. I also, so, you know, in society, as I viewed it growing up, I was very uncomfortable being a very sensitive, emotional woman. And so when I got into a space of like coaching and healing, I was starting to have a lot of 
room to, to be more of who I am. And I got really cozy and comfortable there um, in being able to leave out some of that rigor and accountability that comes from a more structured or masculine way of being. I, I got uh, let off the hook a lot. And I really could stay in a lot of spaces that allow that and celebrate it. But what I'm committed to is making space for all of it. And I'm noticing that there, there's discomfort that I have to be within myself to allow that to start happening. And it's definitely anger is one of the things that I am learning to make more room for, but also just the, the rigor and structure that comes from a more masculine leaning leadership. And I would hate for a movement that is including the feminine leadership to leave out these beautiful gifts that come from masculine leadership. Mm, Can you say more about that piece? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it, it really does take uh, some humbling on, on my account because it, those aren't the gifts that I bring so naturally that, um, creating a plan and a structure and saying things directly and holding people accountable to what they say, those things move things forward. They, they move, they create movements and, um, it is so important to, to value the flow and the creative space. And there's so many things that are in culture that are stamping those things out, but we really can't have one without the other. And any kind of lean that anyone needs to take to allow more of those parts of themselves to come through is, is important, but yeah, not forsaking one for the other. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Uh, Cause I imagine there's, you know, I can just hear in my head, like, all the people in the world, when I talk about this topic who go, yeah, but what if, what if they come back and they oppress again, or what if their anger spills out and it's not safe, you know, and what would you, what would you say to those people who are in trusted relationships that they want to be in and that they want to grow their partnership in around being, um, I'm not even going to say equal, but being in a sense of belonging in a place of belonging. So what would you say to those people that are resisting that still in relationships that they've really chosen at work or organizations or personal life? The very first thing I would say is welcome to leadership. If you have positioned yourself as a leader, whether it's a leader of a company, a leader of a movement, or just a leader in your life, if you're saying, I'm going to be the one to choose something, then you've got to be willing to be with the incongruence that happens within yourself when you're still tied to the pieces that make you more comfortable. I personally feel that in like, you know, what I've just shared about it, it would be so much easier for me to just be in a room full of people who think that a feminine style of leadership is elite and the only way. And because I have chosen to be in a space where I want more inclusion than that. I've got to be willing to look at the places where I haven't accepted those parts of myself. If we can view it in other people, we have it within us. So there's something for me. So there's work for me around my structure, my accountability, my rigor, my anger that I have not yet been willing to be with fully if it's something that I can't be with in someone else. So I would say First of all, like, thank you for the courage in choosing to be this kind of leader. And second, 
uh, it's going to be a lot of internal work, a lot of willingness to look at like, what am I not willing to be within myself that's causing me to say that someone else is wrong in the way that they're being. Mm, I love that. Super clear. And what's, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the costs because I hear a lot of people talking about inclusion and belonging in the world and saying they want this and putting in again strategies and mm-hmm. trainings and conversations, which is not a bad thing. I think that's all part of the work. And sometimes I think we're not aware of the costs of what's happening in real time. And, you know, I'd love to hear what you think some of those costs are. But for me, I look around and I see power dynamics everywhere. And I, and I see even in my group of friends, right? I'm thinking about my, my close group of girlfriends and our relationships. And um, there's such a, a level of disempowerment on both sides. And what that looks like on, the, the, on my side of the street or some of my girlfriend's side of the street might be suppressed anger. <laughs> that might be one. Or um, righteousness, because that's the, that's what we feel like is the only thing that might cut through. And I notice on the other side, I see a lot of resignation, like resignation yeah. and defeat from a lot of the partners, you know, yeah. but what do you see out there? Uh, the cost of not leaning into inclusion would be those things like, um, and ultimately it's disconnection. There are so many relationships that we cannot have that we can't benefit from, learn from, and grow with if we stay in our righteous view of what's, um, what's right or wrong. And the, the cost of leaning into it is having to let go of that righteousness. Righteousness is a really great shield. It really helps us be like, so safe in being right. We can find our group of people who agree with us. We have, these are the virtuous people. These are the bad people. And we can see it in, in so many things, in so many different scenarios. And it, it gets cozy in there. But we then really negate our own power, particularly mm-hmm. for feminine leadership to say, these people did these things to us. We position ourselves then as victims And whether those things feel true or not is a different conversation. There's plenty of healing to be done for um, the feminine. And to say that we don't have power or to, to say that it has been taken from us keeps it away from us. It's like we're always keeping it one step out of of our full embodiment and our experience of it. And it, posi- it positions us as a victim, those of us who are identifying in that way, and positions, in order to be a victim, there has to be a perpetrator. And to mm-hmm. position someone else as a perpetrator really excludes them from the conversation. It ties someone's hands to say, you did this to us. Because like, okay, I can't, what do I even say now if, um, if I'm the bad guy here? So... And what we're really doing is creating a part of ourselves as the bad guy and a part of ourselves as the good guy and, and creating this like intense disconnection within our own being and always fighting ourselves then and suppressing parts of ourselves. I think that's like maybe what you're speaking to when you're saying like there's suppressed anger, because if we say that other people are like this 
and that's bad, then we definitely can't allow that those those parts of us within our within ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And that goes right back to what we are really starting to play with as our model at the C-Suite Collective is we have three steps that we're talking about, getting real, belonging to self, and a culture of belonging. And what I hear in that middle, like we're really talking about the middle one today, mm-hmm. which is how do you how do you love all parts of yourself and welcome all parts of yourself and be with all parts of yourself, the perpetrator and the victim <laughs> inside yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, it's a tough level of leadership. I, we, we're talking about it pretty um, calmly and casually here, but it's not a, it's not for the faint of heart to be willing to say these things that I don't like in the world are within me and going in and being willing to understand it, love it, transform it from a place of, um, compassion and power, not from making it wrong or wanting to get rid of it. Super nuanced. Yeah. And scary, right? I remember the first time my, uh, shout out to Marita Bowles, who, who, uh, (laughs) who is the one that told me this first. And I heard it when she said, you know, all people are love and all people are also, you know, use the word you want, whether it's bad or evil or not nice, (laughs) whatever word you want to put in there. But we are all of those things. And I remember thinking, that's not true. And there are parts of myself that I, that I don't think I'm a, you know, evil person. And, and I don't, it's not that direct, but there is underneath that a flavor of, can you see in yourself that you can be all of these things in this life? And it comes from choice and healing and looking at the pieces that you don't like in order to be the person you want to be in the world. Yeah. The, the word that I like to use as opposite of love is fear mm-hmm. because it, all of those other things come from there in, in my perspective. And it also just gives a little bit of, for me, using the word fear creates some compassion Yeah, that it's something that was grown in us that, uh, can be healed, that there aren't necessarily like these immovable, uh, negative qualities, but that if we can see them in the world, they are within us and they're not bad things. They're calls for love. Mm, They're calls for love. Man, it all goes back to love, right? And, and what do you say to the people that hear that and they go like, I don't know what that means or that sounds, that sounds so easy. Well, the <laughs> ones who don't know what it means, I would say it's, it really is a process. And we are talking about it very like conceptually and ethereally, ethereally here. So when people do have these kinds of conversations with me, I have the conversations very much more in application to the things that are going on in their lives. So Mm -hmm. I would say like, take a look at a relationship that you're thinking of while we're talking about this, whether it's a, a work relationship or a personal relationship and look at the places where you've placed blame externally. And like, what's that experience that you're having of this person underlying? What's the story that you believe about who they are and see where you can locate that within yourself. 
And if it's hard to locate it in yourself, take some time, sit with it for a little while. And then start looking at the, the historical unwillingness to be with that and start taking a look at whether you, you can generate some more willingness, even if it's just journaling about it or thinking about it or getting curious enough to say, where is this actually within me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the people who say it's yeah. easy, they won't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. It's just love which is hilarious. I don't know if anybody really believes that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you think will happen for this new paradigm of leadership if we continue to have this conversation? What's What's the dream? I'm at the point where I don't believe that there is a new paradigm of leadership without this conversation. And so I'm really grateful that it emerged because it really wouldn't be new. It would have been the other side of a, the same coin had we not been willing to look at inclusion to this level. And I would say that um, what's available now is way more common ground than would have been possible without this kind of conversation. And in that common ground, there's equal dignity. There are going to be spaces where people are not just allowed to be more of a full version of themselves, but even required uh, and challenged to be that. And that the fullness of the workspace will, you know, people talk about work-life balance all the time. This will be like a, a full immersion of like more presence for people, that people will be present to the gifts that they have and who they are when they wake up in the morning and are with their families, when they go into their workplace and when they go home, that people will live less fragmented lives. Mm -hmm. That's gorgeous. So places to start. I heard step number one, journal about the relationships you're in, including the relationship to yourself. What are the next two steps after that? If you had a gift to give the world? Well, I'll back up and give a pre-step, which goes in line with the three steps that we've created, which is the getting real step. Um, First, like what you've listened to here, what has come up for you? What has poked you? What do you agree or disagree with here? What are the things that you see that we didn't see in this conversation or that we saw that, that you didn't see and, and what's coming up for you? The, the getting real with what's going on within you and within your company is, is the first step. So journaling about that, having a conversation with someone about it, listening to this podcast with someone and, and starting to have some dialogue, especially if this is a new kind of conversation. And then, yeah, um, then some, some willingness to look on your side of the street. And if it doesn't feel like you're in a relationship where looking at your side of the street out loud to them is safe or comfortable enough yet, that can be a private practice just the willingness to do it on your own. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Mel. I know this is a a huge conversation in the world and you and I and the collective are just starting out at the very beginning of this conversation. So thank you for your willingness to come here and share your thoughts with everyone and your dreams for what's possible next. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's so important to me and the urgency for this kind of leadership is what pulls me forward. That it's so important that we're having conversations that 
centered dignity for all, not just for the people that are like us, and not even just for the people who agree that dignity is important. <laughs> mm. um, it, yeah, we've, we've got to move forward in a way that creates true belonging, not just like belonging for the people who think belonging is, is valuable. <laughs> <laughs> That's really beautiful. That's our new banner, our tagline underneath our mission and vision will be dignity for all. <laughs> beautiful. Well, thank you again. I love you so much. And I, I'm so grateful for your leadership. Thank you. I love you too. Thank you for this. Mm-hmm.